0: RunAsRadio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the weekly internet audio talk show for IT professionals
1: with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number 35 with guest Chris Avis,
0: recorded live at Dev Connections Thursday, November 8, 2007. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions. Offering professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com.
1: Hi there, this is Richard Campbell. You're listening to Run As Radio, and we're live at Dev Connections. Well, I guess it's really the Connections Conference because we're on the IT side of things here in Las Vegas. And with me, as always, is Greg Hughes. Hi, everybody. All right, guy. Well, let's get right to it. We got Chris Avis sitting beside us. Amazingly, Chris, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, we're gonna wander off into the land of spam today, which I'm, oh. I'm really looking forward to, guy. Yeah. Uh, most
0: well, that's kind of unusual because most people don't look forward to spam. But I don't look forward to spam.
1: <laughs> I look for. I need help.
0: Let me tell you. Okay, there you go. All right. So uh, my name is Chris Avis. I'm with Microsoft. I'm an IT pro evangelist, and uh, I'm primarily charged with speaking to IT professionals about all of the cool products and technologies that Microsoft has to offer.
2: So you're part of a team of people that is really your job is just to get the word out.
0: Yes, yes. We uh, uh, are a part of an engine. We have no quota, so we're not responsible for sales, but we like to try to tip people towards the technologies. And a, and a big part of it is actually marketing as well, raising the awareness of things, features, Capabilities that software has that people just don't know exist. So I'm
2: I'm, I'm curious, and I'm, I don't want to get off topic here, but I am curious. How do they measure your performance at Microsoft? Oh, if you're wow. not, if you don't have a quota, and if you're not, it's not quality of software that you're building. How does that work at Microsoft?
0: So we're part of a feedback loop between marketing and the development teams. So we get information and transfer that back and forth. As a measure of performance, it's how many people we can reach. And then, of course, we have an evaluation form at the end of our live seminars that people fill out and give us a scale. On a one to nine. So yeah.
2: more of a subjective rating kind of thing and, and that, and different types of things like that that go into. If I, yeah. I, I, as an IT manager and a manager of a variety of different kinds of people, you know, over time, it's always been interesting to me to find, to find out mm-hmm. how, how different types of employees or different types of workers are evaluated.
0: Yeah. And, and we actually do more than just live events. We do a lot of webcasting. We, uh, the, the bulk of us actually do some blogging. We do screencasting, podcasting. Uh, we uh, integrate in with a community, with user groups, MVPs. So we touch a lot of different areas, uh, but it's almost always IT profile. Well, and
2: having worked as a police officer before, I understand that quotas can be bad, yeah. And that there are many, many ways to actually, you know, judge the effectiveness of somebody in terms yes. of how they're reaching out and, and touching people that way.
1: Okay. All right, Chris. Exchange. I have a server. You have a server. Yes, I do. We have spam.
0: Uh well I don't know I may have less spam than you I don't know
1: now I have so. a domain name that I bought uh, the hard way the old fashioned way in like 1993 oh wow so and it's a three letter domain name which will remain unnamed if you really want to know it you'll be able to figure it out TLA dot com no it's not <laughs> but the fact is I mean those every single three letter com domain gone. name is registered They're and gone. I happen to own one of them and I've owned it a very very long time yep. and it gets between 7 and 8 million emails sent to it a month. Wow. So I use it as my test case. When folks say they've got their spam under control, I say, are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) Are you really sure? I'm in a similar
0: uh, uh, setup. I've had a domain name for about 10 years. It's not a three-letter domain name. It's it's rather unique, but it's been public for most of that time. So friends, family have gotten it. They've forwarded it out. It's gotten onto spam lists, and I get a rather fair amount of spam myself. Yeah, I,
2: I have a domain name that I use, and my blog is at it, and, I, and I've used it for a long time, mm-hmm. and I get – there's days when I'm getting twenty five hundred spam messages a day. Yeah,
1: and we all agree the primary way that things get on spam lists these days is scraping off of websites. Nobody sells lists anymore. None of that stuff goes on. The reality is, the moment I put an email address on a web page, yep. whether it's in a news group forum that gets republished as in HTTP or whether I actually put it on a page of any kind on my blog site, that's it. It's toast. That's it. It's public. Well,
2: to to that's one way.
1: Okay, Mr. Security Guy, (laughs) while we're going after spam here, what's the other ways? The
2: fact of the matter is is there are people who have email addresses that have never been put on a web page, and there's a variety of other ways that it comes up too. I think the important thing is you're right. You're absolutely right that that does happen. There's a lot of scraping that goes on, but there's also worms that pull things out of address books. That's right. And, And for the last three or four years especially, there's been a huge number of spams that are just sent to, email addresses that are randomly generated to yes. common names or, or other, you know, common, uh, you know, monikers, if you will, yeah. at any existing domain name.
0: Yeah. E- email's cheap to send. And so if you write an application, a bot to just generate random names, take the common, you know, john at company.com. Right. Absolutely. Then just start sending. It'll get there.
2: And that's why now, depending on who you, who you believe or ask or read, you know, anywhere from ninety percent to ninety eight to ninety nine percent of the email crossing the internet today is said to be spam. And I don't yeah. know what numbers you have, but it, it does it varies depending on which study you look at.
0: Well, you know, anyway you look at it, every year since the internet you know, exploded a decade ago, those numbers have gone up. Uh it you know, ten years ago when we look at it historically, spam was a nuisance. You get, you get an email from someone saying, Hey, look at this cool website. Now it's the pay or the transfer mechanism or the transport mechanism for malware, viruses, spam, phishing scams. And that percentage, because it is so cheap and convenient to send, the bad guys, quote unquote, take advantage of that.
2: And you, I mean, you get a, you know, a one, one thousandth of one percent hit rate. Yeah. You can make big money doing that. And the fact of the matter is, is the reason people do it is because they do make money.
0: Yeah, spam isn't there just because people have free time to send junk mail around. They're doing it for some gain, whether it's to get personal information, generate revenue of some sort, and you know, like you said, one one thousandth of one percent versus one two five a billion email addresses—that's a lot of money.
2: And it, it can be quite a bit. Now, <clears throat> not only has the uh, the amount of spam as a function of the percentage of total spam out there or email out there being spam mm-hmm. gone up, but just the amount of email being sent has oh, gone yeah. up, I mean, exponentially. And the problem is huge. And so I, I know that I experienced in the past problems with doing anti-spam uh, scalability issues. Been a lot of progress over the last several years in that area in terms of combating the spam problem. So what's Microsoft got going in terms of solving this type of problem?
0: Well, I, you know, I think our first real big success with, uh, fighting spam was with Exchange 2003 and the Intelligent Message Filter. Uh, it was a free add-on for Exchange, and I believe it was included with Exchange Service, Exchange 2003 Service Pack 2. It was integrated in, and it gave the administrator the ability to define thresholds and assign what's called an SCL or a spam confidence level against inbound email. And it was an algorithm that was developed. It was based off of the smart screen technologies that were put into the Outlook application. And it looks at a variety of things. It looks at the subject line, the different words that are placed there. It looks at the content. It looks at who sent the ad or the email, uh, who it's sent to, the time of day. That it was sent because one of the things you'll notice is that you will get more spam between midnight and 8 a.m. than you do between 8 a.m. and midnight. And so those, all of those different things were part of this smart screen algorithm, and they were transferred over to the server side so that we could block it before it ever makes it to the end user mailbox.
2: So one of the goals I know that a lot of administrators set out to do is I want to keep it from reaching my Exchange server ever in the Mm -hmm. first place.
0: Yeah, keep it out of the database.
2: Microsoft bought a company with an awesome product called Sabari. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antigen. Yes. An Antigen for Exchange, uh, and Antigen like as an as a SMTP gateway, mm-hmm. these are products that I've run before and I've been really, really happy with. Um, I'm not intimately familiar, not being the hands-on guy for the last several years, with what's happened with that product and what's changed over time since that acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious.
0: So what we have now with Exchange 2007 is we, we still have the intelligent message filter type capabilities. We implement them a little bit differently. Uh, Exchange 2007 is now a role-based type configuration configuration one of the optional roles is what's called an edge transport server, and it is the SMTP gateway. There are no databases for mail storage, but that's where we point our MX records or for DNS okay so inbound SMTP hits that mail or that mail server that role it's designed to do all of the scrubbing so we do our anti-spam anti-malware, and that's also where we would install our forefront security for exchange product, which is the evolution of the antigen products. We would install that to the edge server leverage it does more than just anti spam it does antivirus as well
2: it might might be good to maybe you can just give a quick explanation of what forefront is there's a server component there's other things and it's it's sort of like microsoft did with sharepoint you know it's not a program it's a it's a group of programs or a family if you will right. so what what is forefront why is forefront and what what's the story behind that
0: So the name Forefront alone is actually a group of security technologies. So it includes everything from ISA, the uh, Internet Security and Acceleration Server, to our new Intelligent Application Gateway server product, which is our Whale Communications uh, acquisition, to the Sabari Antigen type acquisitions. Anything dealing with uh, security and protecting our systems really falls under the forefront umbrella. So it's
1: all, all of the edge services. All edge the stuff. Services. This is what your internet is plugged into. These are the machines that probably have real IPs. Correct. And you want a few business assets on those machines as possible. If any machine is going to take a beating, it's these ones. Correct. So they're purely focused on their edge roles. Yeah, they do primarily
0: live on the edge. We do have a product called Forefront Client Security. It's an actual client-side service that does the antivirus, anti-malware scanning, runs on our Vista XP clients.
2: Now, is this this the same as OneCare, or is this something different?
0: Well, OneCare is under the Forefront umbrella, but it is totally separate from the Forefront Client Security product. Because
2: one of the frustrations that I had recently with OneCare is that I can't install it on my uh, Vista 64-bit Correct. machine. It's not compatible. Yeah. Uh, so I... is the Forefront Client Security 64-bit compatible, or or how is that working? I ask because I, I went out to a consumer store and bought mm-hmm. a laptop and took it home with Vista on it, and it turns out it was a 64-bit installation by default of Vista. That's what I got. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious what the options are that Microsoft has available in terms of doing that, that base level security stuff.
0: So there, uh, I know for a fact we have the 32 bit client for forefront client security because I've done testing and demonstrations around that. My understanding is we also have a 64 bit or it at least is in development. Uh, so we certainly will have one, but I'd have to actually check to see where we're at in that process, but absolutely it will be supported. It's being continuously developed, so it's not going to be going away anytime soon.
2: So so to kind of get back on the Exchange track here, so Forefront yes. <clears throat> on the Exchange side is about antivirus and anti-spam.
0: Well, actually, Forefront is about antivirus. The anti-spam features are actually part of the edge role in some of the core Exchange services. So it's a
2: core Exchange role. It's, part, it's built into Exchange, that capability.
1: Uh, the anti-spam is.
0: The anti-spam. Yes.
1: So I set up a... Uh, an Exchange server, and I set it to this Edge mode, essentially, where it's going yes. to do the anti-spam work. And that's part of Forefront Technologies. No, actually, it's actually. part of Forefront.
0: No, no. So okay. when you get Exchange, you have the option of doing this Edge Transport role. And the Edge Transport role is unique in that it has to live alone. It can't have any of the other Exchange 2007 roles, the hub transport, it can't be a client access server, it can't be a mailbox database. In fact, the edge role can't even be a part of the domain. It has to be outside of the domain. I don't have a
1: problem with that. that that's how I would configure it too. You know, exactly. the same way I keep my web servers out of the domain and so forth. Like, right. this is the machine that's going to take the beating. Yes, this is you want to minimize its ability to expose the rest. It's not always going to win. Right. You know, some days the machine loses. Yeah. They're... And and this is security in depth. Don't leave it with the keys when the wall falls down. Exactly.
2: This is the abuse abstraction layer, if you will, right? That's really what it is.
0: Yeah, this, this service is actually designed to sit out in the DMZ or in the perimeter. Um, you know, I still have mine behind a firewall that only allows port 25 in and out for that particular machine. Which is also smart. It's just a smart thing to do. But it's probably
2: worth pointing out. I know we've said it on shows before, but it's really worth pointing out is if you have a direct, if inbound internet connectivity of the email type is coming in and is touching your Exchange server mm-hmm. directly, then you, you potentially fundamentally have a problem right there. Yes. yes. So the, the whole point of this abstracting the capability out and having an edge service mm-hmm. is to have a very limited set of, of uh, Exchange apps and capabilities yes. running on that server in a highly protected mode um, so that you, you don't like you said. You don't have data stores or anything there with the mm-hmm. database, so that you can really and truly protect. That I mean, email is such a critical capability and service in companies today.
0: Yes, The absolutely. information
2: that is stored shouldn't necessarily be. I'll pontificate again, but you know, the stuff that people send in email quite often is really inappropriate to the medium, mm-hmm. and protecting that is is really a very important thing. Yes,
0: and and, and you know, and again, that's why we move that edge roll out into the perimeter. Um, I had mentioned it It can't be a part of the domain, so a lot of people think, well, well, now, wait a minute. Exchange requires Active Directory services so we can look up user account information, figure out where their mailboxes live, et cetera.
1: Yeah, but none of that stuff lives on that machine.
0: Well, it does, but in a kind of a uh, protected mode. So what we do is when we implement that edge server, there's actually a subscription that's made between the edge transport server and our hub transport server and it forms a one-way replication of the active directory objects that are needed to do the mail routing. We replicate it only one direction, so it only comes from the hub transport server that's behind, in our corporate environment, behind our corporate firewalls. We replicate that information out to the edge transport server so it can make its routing decisions. And then from there, we just move the email. It does all the scrubbing. There are no databases, so anything that's spam related, we kick that off. If we've implemented Forefront as a part of this as well, then we can get rid of the antivirus before it ever touches the databases, keeps them small, keeps them manageable, keeps them completely out of the environment if at all possible. So where,
2: so where do you run the Forefront uh, anti-spam for Exchange? Do you run it on the edge server or is it a separate machine typically that you'd run it on or what's the configuration? These you cases?
0: You would run it on the edge server. Uh, you could optionally run it without the edge server is an optional role, so it right. does not have to be implemented in any size organization. Sure. Um, if you choose not to, you can run Forefront on the hub transport server for Exchange 2007. Uh, so still, if, if and if you've broken the hub transport role away from the mailbox databases uh, role, then you're still keeping it isolated. I mean, Exchange does have the capability with some of the roles to combine them, so you can actually do a full Exchange deployment with a single server. So in that case then forefront would be running on the hub transport role with the mailbox server as well. So
1: I'm and maybe it's a little off the spam track a little bit, but I am thinking about the granularity there. Would it be the first thing you'd carve out of that single server mode be the edge or would you carve off the transport? I mean, what's the what is the limiting issue here with exchanges? The number of mailboxes?
0: Well, you know, we're going to go off on a tangent here, but uh, there's roughly a 4 to 1 ratio
2: We never Um, go off on tangents, by the way, (laughs) just so you know. Uh,
0: It's it's approximately a 4 to 1 ratio of if you have four 2003 Exchange servers now, you could actually manage that same server load with Exchange 2007 with one server. And the big differentiating factor there is that Exchange 2007 is 64-bit only, We can throw more RAM at that machine, which means we can reduce the disk I.O., which is a big part of the performance that hits on a mailbox server. We can keep more of that information in memory, so it increases the performance of the server. So that would be the big differentiating factor there. Um, As far as breaking roles off, um, as far as a particular order, I don't know that we have a published particular order to do that. We can either have all of the roles live on one machine, or with the exception of the edge which always has to be a separate machine or we can start splitting the exchange roles out which we might want to do for load balancing or performance reasons
1: and just to be just sure here these could be virtual machines so it could be one physical machine a virtual machine running the edge service
0: uh it could as long as you have a virtualized environment
1: that supports the 64 bit environment right so yes i don't Must be somebody out there that does that.
0: Oh, yeah. There, there is a company. We'll we'll call them out. VMware does support it. And of course, we'll support it with Windows Server Virtualization on Windows 2008.
2: On 2008, right. Yes. Yep.
1: All right. Back to spam.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: So
1: what does the, what is it that the Edge product is doing that's different from the intelligent message filtering?
0: Well, it's not really doing anything different. We still do our connection filtering. We still can do the sender ID. Uh, we still can stamp that spam confidence level on the, on the machine. The difference is, is that is isolated. We keep that role completely away from where the databases are stored. So again, if that machine gets compromised, it's just that machine. It's outside of the domain. We don't have to worry about it uh, having connectivity into the rest of the domain and being able to enumerate any of the yeah, You start thinking
2: about weird payloads attached Correct. to email that, that we don't know about now, and somebody finds some random uh, you know, hidden vulnerability that then, of course, instantly becomes known across the world. Correct. Uh, and people start sending emails with a dangerous payload that That you know, Mm -hmm. somebody comes up with in the future, then having that again abstracted away in a limited role in a in a controlled environment could be is is really beneficial.
1: And ultimately, we're about protecting the mailboxes. That's what users get upset about losing.
0: Yeah, you know, two different things. It's the the end users want their mail, and they don't want all of the junk in it. The administrators want the databases to be manageable and small, if at all possible, which is you know growing more and more difficult you know, considering what people use email for these days, they use it for file storage as much as they do it for email.
2: Well and the risk managers want to make sure yes. that the system stays solid and that information is not coming in, which causes information improper information to go out. Correct. And so there there's a there's a, a wide variety of benefits to, to having, you know, an isolated and divided environment yes. and doing doing defense in depth. As Mm -hmm. they call it, right? And so that a layered security security. strategy, yes. So that you can, so that you can, uh, have multiple layers of protection. Certainly you wouldn't rely on just that edge layer. You would also properly secure Mm -hmm. everything and every layer below that because it's quite often what is it that you don't know? Yep.
1: All right. I'm not going to go dark on you. Yeah, I am. I'm beginning to think that email is simply broken. And the biggest measurement that I've got is the regular mortals. I mean, let's face it. We're weirdos, right? We're in this space. We're trying to keep mail working, but grandma is using Facebook for her communication.
0: Right. Right. right.
1: These social sites are becoming the way they're communicating because email's simply not working. My kids are giving up on email and using Facebook and using MySpace and things like that mm-hmm. because they just, they're not interested in the battle. It's not important to them. They would rather message through something to their friends that they can count on.
0: Well, you know, I, I would say it's even it's it's not even so much the reliability of email itself. It's just that as the internet and as the different applications have evolved over the years, and particularly in the younger you know generations using the applications, the social networking sites like Facebook, MySpace, uh, etc., they have that built in messaging capability i wouldn't even really call it truly email Uh, in fact on uh, myspace you have comments then you have new messages i don't even think the word email actually shows up but it it essentially is it's a messaging environment and and there is a certain amount of migration away from using uh, a full-blown email client in some environments
2: well you know an email email sucks It's broken. It's always been broken. It was broken from the day that it was designed. It's a lot like TCP IP, you know, well intentioned people who believe that all the people in the world are kind hearted and good and would never do wrong build optimistic applications that do a really good job of doing what they're intended to do. It's the problem is is that they're also open to people using them in ways that they were not intended, right? And doing bad things with them. And, um, and the fact of the matter is, is that when the internet, you know, sort of hit its boom, 12, 13 years ago when it really started to grow and this really started to take off. It, it was, uh, you didn't have a whole lot of bad guys out there taking advantage of it. And now you have, you know, zillions of them. (laughs) And, uh, and they're really, really good, very smart people. And fundamentally, email is a broken medium. And that's why you do see. And I mean, I, I agree. You do. Uh, I don't think email is dead. It's far from dead, unfortunately. Um, but you're right. People are using things like Facebook or instant messaging. Mm-hmm. I use instant messaging a lot now to communicate with people, and I have for years. But I'm using it more and more and more because more and more other people are getting on board and are using it as a regular way of communicating with each other.
1: Yes. Alright, I'm gonna try and keep us on spam to some degree here, but you know, these are group digress- <laughs> The funny thing about spam is we deal with it from an IT perspective, but also very much from a personal perspective, because we all use it as well. So it's, it's a fairly tough topic to, to focus on abstractly. It's a very yeah. non-abstract problem. We've only talked about this concept of intelligent message filtering, about looking at the criteria of the message itself to decide if it's spam or not. Right. What about stuff like blacklisting? You know, the other mechanisms around, and, and I talk about blacklisting servers. You know, I know perfectly well from my experiments that if I fire an SMTP open relay on, it'll be found within minutes. I mm-hmm. mean, just pick around, you know, I've got a, I've got a few extra IPs out there. I've done this as a demonstration where I've literally just set up a, a simple SMTP server and put it out open, and within minutes it was found. There's guys Mm -hmm. out there scanning for 25, round the clock, and it was a mail relay, and it was immediately compromised. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was stunning demonstration. Mm -hmm. So the issue here is uh, blocking those. And then the next thing was within an hour on a blacklist. Yes. So we've obviously got a group of people out there who are trying very hard to make blacklists work, but I see people in both camps. I wonder where you are in this, Chris. Like, Would you do you use those technologies? Yes, I do. So I've been doing this
0: uh, with the blacklisting, the DNS blacklisting, since Exchange 2003, and I've actually posted out to my blog on several occasions. I'll rotate through different blacklist providers over time because I actually have about 30 domain names total that are registered. I only have a few of those enabled for email, though. Um, but I, I leverage connection filtering. So there's specific IPs that I've found through my own network tracing, et cetera, and just monitoring things over the years that I know are known spammers, known virus senders, et cetera. So I put into the connection filtering those IP addresses. Um, exchange since exchange 2003 has supported DNS blacklist providers where you can plug in the name of a DNS or a, a hosting provider that it means contains a DNS zone of known spammers, virus senders, hackers, etc. A lot of times
2: they're referred to as a real-time black hole list, Correct. RBL list, that, those type of things. I think I think it's important to mention to people, since we've started talking about that, that there are a few RBL lists out there that are probably pretty good to use, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of them out there that are extremely aggressive and will mm-hmm. cause you more problems than they will solve.
1: Because well, yeah. yeah, RBLs are lovely, and spam filtering is lovely, until you get false positives. Yes. right. All of this is fine until a guy doesn't get a mail he knows he was supposed to get. And now and you're in trouble. That one situation
0: is, you know, uh, people have, over the years I've figured out, people would much rather get 10 spams a day than to have that one email hit as a false positive and them not right.
2: get it. The, the quandary so. that we find ourselves in is, would they rather get 500 spams a day Or miss that one email. Would they rather get a thousand spam emails a day or miss that one email? Because they're, 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 I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right that it's the inconvenience balanced against the other inconvenience.
0: It's, it's, you know, Steve Riley did a good keynote around security versus usability here, which I thought was, I've heard the presentation before. It's very good. And the same thing applies with the spam side of it. You know, where do we set our thresholds for how much spam we're going to allow in to guarantee that we get our valid emails versus what we want to block and take the risk of eliminating the valid email from our system. You know,
2: you know, what's interesting too is a, a huge amount, a very, very large percentage of the email can be dropped right up front based mm-hmm. on invalid, uh, SMTP headers. Right. And, you know, and forged, uh, sender IDs, yeah. right? And, and, uh, I, I've, you know, I've set up, a of wide variety of different types of anti-spam engines and gateways just to do analysis and to learn about that and and uh, the vast majority of spam is so badly formed we'll mm-hmm. say this here and then they'll hear it say it and then they'll go out and they'll try to fix it no they won't because <laughs> no, they, they, they haven't won't. fixed it for years No. no they
1: and you, think you get back to the point which I think of the spammers there's a very small subset that are pro that are yes. handling the viruses and doing the phishing attacks and so forth. But there's all these kits out there that anybody oh, yeah. can download to be a spammer. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just love getting a spam that says where the subject line is insert subject here, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> they forgot that field in their little kit that yeah, they did. And, yeah. Well, and, and it's almost like they don't even know it's running anymore. It's a
0: runaway themselves. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, some years ago, some hacker bad guy set up a machine To start sending some spam out and forgot about it. And it's been spamming. It's, it's like the theory of the whole Novell server that got walled off and it ran for 10 years before something happened and knocked a wall down. Same type of thing. You know, it becomes an automated process and the bad guys have written little applications that make it so simple for, you know, the, the script kitties out there, go out some site, download a utility, plug in a few fields, press go and instantly. They're sending millions uh, with, and millions of messages, right? With the
2: advent of bot networks, where we start oh. to distribute those across, you know, thousands and thousands Scary of different sources, stuff. where they're all coming from, and to make it harder and harder to track. But yeah. it's it's uh, it's encouraging, at least, to know that there's still great progress being made by Microsoft, uh, by and by a variety of others. Absolutely. Uh, that are doing a very good job and quite often working together on these things, um, and, and collaborating idea wise on these things. Mm-hmm. I and mean, there's conferences that everybody goes to and shares information, um, in order to be able to basically drop as much of this as possible at the edge. Yes. I'm still
1: surprised that the technologies that have never taken off like, uh, authenticated mail. I mean, every so you know, once in a while I get a mail with somebody with a little symbol on it, but it's, it, why have none of these things taken home?
2: Because it's a pain in the ass. I
1: think that's what it is. It's cumbersome. You know, it's, it's the
2: usability versus security. If, yes. if it's you know, yeah, security measures are good, but the fact of the matter is that people won't work them if they're not. They won't use them if they don't work.
0: If it, if it takes you know five ten clicks to set it up, and then any kind of monitoring after the fact, it will not get adopted by the the customer.
2: Well, and especially if every time you send an email you have to sign it through this geeky, techie way of yeah. doing things, you know, there's a difference between it works and it works for me. Yes, and that—that's really that's the usability question. And yes. and so to go back to your point, I think that you know that as soon as something becomes more usable, uh, then it will it'll be adopted. But. To go back to the classic email, email, the way that it is architected and works today doesn't and dissipate and doesn't really in a usable way allow people to do authenticated email or to, you know, have email that is really, you know, just following certain channels. And yep. it, there's a there's a There's a flip side, isn't there? I mean, you know, one of the beauties of email, if you can call it that, is that you can reach anyone anywhere in the world unimpeded. You can just send it unless Mm -hmm. the government gets in the way or something. But, I mean, you know, technically speaking, Mm -hmm. it's very fast, um, huge amounts of information, and it's unimpeded. You know, it's not – you don't have a, a, you know, a list of friends that will accept your email. Correct. It's it's – if you want to reach somebody that you've never spoken to before because you're curious or about no, something they wrote, mm-hmm. you can just do that.
0: Yeah, and I, I get that all the time. I mean, I blog. My email address is on my blog. I get email from all over the world from people I've never spoken to ever, and they have question about something that I posted or some webcast or something, and it it it's very easy to establish that two way communication with unknown people. And I've I've got friendships that I've had for. 12 13 years since the boom of the internet right. of people that I ran across through some uh, web form or something and email communication I've never met some of these people but I mean we've email for years.
2: email was the original social network yeah. right and then it, instant yes, messaging came in and then um, and so you know there is value in that but there's also cost yes. in having you know an application platform if you will that mm-hmm. works the way that it does when the bad guys try to obliterate it which they've done a pretty good job of doing.
1: Yeah, I think email is pretty close to obliterated.
0: Well, you know, it, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, if, if we have a few minutes, I can tell you a, a five minute story about spam and how absolutely know, some stuff I did save my marriage. I so, love, I know, we love we it. We talked about this earlier. Yeah, let's so. do it.
1: Let's uh, let's close on a good story. Yeah.
0: So uh you know, I've run my own Exchange server for uh about ten, eleven years now, and that'll and kill
2: that'll kill a marriage.
0: <laughs> that in, in itself well the, all the machines in the basement i think is what it does but uh so and i've had this domain name for many many years and uh my wife and i she's had one of the uh, an, an email address on the domain for about 7 years now and uh, you know was running exchange 2003 you know up until 6 months ago and had the intelligent message filter on and she was seeing maybe a dozen spams you know a week total and almost all of that ended up in her spam folder her junk mail folder so I decided, I convinced her that I had to go out and get the 64-bit machines to do Exchange 2007. If she still wanted to get email, and she did, she wanted to get her eBay notifications, communicate with her friends and family. So she let me get the machines, and uh, I install and migrate everything over from Exchange 2003 and got it all up and running, noticed all of the spam coming in, didn't really give it much thought. Um, and then I went on the road, and I was on the road pretty constantly for about six months and also got a little bit lazy. And I don't use my personal email address much for anymore. She does though. And she actually got into the routine of every single day. She had a thousand mail messages in her inbox, which I didn't even realize. Um, and she would just do a control A to select everything, do a delete. Then she'd go to the deleted items folder and she'd start running through it to find the valid email. And then she would say, Mark is not junk. To start creating the lists. So I had not configured any of the anti-spam features inside of Exchange. That's what, that's what the message or the key was. So her email address was getting about a thousand spams a day. I was getting somewhere between 1500 and 2500 a day. And I was amazed. I didn't even realize that. I had quit monitoring the spam in my server since doing the intelligent message filter, the block lists, connection filtering, because I was getting almost no spam. So after six months, she finally puts her foot down and says, Look, I'm getting 7,000 emails a week. You have to do something about this. I cannot keep up with it. Well, and of course so.
1: Yeah. Get back to the old server. The old server didn't do this. <laughs>
0: she wanted, yeah, she was, uh, you know, you 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 got a $1,000 budget to go out and buy a couple of 64-bit machines. You built them. And, and my life is horrible as far as email is <laughs> concerned. So you lied to me is what she came down to. So <laughs> she, uh, she finally put her foot down. And I said, okay, look, I'm going to do this whole other server. We'll get up and run. So over the weekend, and it doesn't take long, uh, I implemented the edge server role. I also implemented forefront because I wanted to do the antivirus part of it as right. well. Because sure. you know, I do a lot of security as well. So I know that that's that's one of the transfer mechanisms. And we instantly went from a thousand spams a day for her, roughly fifteen hundred, two thousand for me, back down to the pre upgrade levels where she's she's actually getting maybe a half a dozen a week. Because I've implemented a few of the other features that Uh, exchange 2003 doesn't
2: support. Some of the newer tweaks.
0: Yeah, some of the newer tweaks. Uh, I actually configured sender ID. I haven't really done any testing to see how much that's blocking. But exchange 2007 with the edge services also has this uh, reputation item as well that can look at the reputation of a server and actually if it says, yeah, it's kind of sketchy, we're going to block all incoming connections from that server for 48 hours. And then we'll allow some connections in. We'll check the status of it then. And if it's still sketchy we 'll block it for another forty eight hours and you can enable some logging to see how that's doing and then go in and make some connection filtering lists but uh she was very, very happy none, <laughs> to to say the least of getting back to the pre upgrade to exchange two thousand levels of spam and it it just really you know opened my eyes to you know, that's one of my domains that I was doing
1: email for. And well, I have you, another. And you'd forgotten that your stuff was actually working.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, it was very transparent. So, you know, when we say email is broken, it is because it can be taken advantage of so easily by the people, you know, that have less than good intent. Uh, on the flip side, I really think that with uh, proper administration and configuration, regardless of whether it's a Microsoft mail system or even third party, Uh jumping through some of those fiery hoops up front will really make the lives of our end users in and the administrators a lot simpler.
2: Yeah, I mean clearly there's been a lot of investment and effort put into making email work better in the Mm -hmm. current environment. But to to Richard's point, eventually something will come along that we'll see some adoption Mm -hmm. that will replace email. Just like just like you know, the automobile replaced the horse. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it it will eventually be outwitted and outdeveloped, and, you yep. know, and and something better will come along.
1: You don't see a lot of Archie and Gopher these days. <laughs> no, no, no you sure, don't. No. That's, that's a good
2: point. But the, despite the fact that spam is terrible you know, and that phishing and viruses attached to email and the worms and all the different stuff that can go on and email is so bad, people still use it you mm-hmm. know, because it fundamentally meets a need. Yes, it does. And so until something else comes along to meet that need, then it's important that Microsoft... You know, with the forefront stuff and other companies and that are that are doing this are are doing the hard work they're doing because it does add a real value to a, a, an awful lot of people every mm-hmm. single day.
0: Yeah, there's there's no one that I know that has any kind of internet access that does not have an email address, and I and I kind of wig out with people that say, oh, I've got ten. I'm like, well, that's crazy. You have 10 times as much spam as the, the NPI1. <laughs> I have two email addresses. I have my work email address, and I have my personal email right. address. And I've been that way for a decade now. And I, I can't imagine having even one more mailbox. Well, I should take that back. I do have a Hotmail account, but it's locked down. I don't allow anything into it at all. It's just for my Windows Live ID. But I have my two email addresses. That's it. That's all I want to have to worry about. And I use both. Well, I use my personal one a little bit more than I did six months ago. Uh, but my work email is probably my primary messaging area. So,
1: Chris Avis, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate you uh, sitting and talking to us. Absolutely. Uh, fun to do this at the conference. And I'm sure we'll uh, all be together again sometime soon. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.